0: You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning again. Good morning. Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 9. And this morning, we are continuing the series that we've been in since kind of mid-September, walking through the book of Acts and looking at the early church as our kind of model for living out the gospel in everyday life. So while you're turning to Acts chapter 9, uh, let me just ask you this. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever had a person in your life, maybe there's even a person in your life right now, who seems so far gone that you can like never imagine them ever kind of having a life turnaround and coming to faith in Jesus. Have you ever, you know, have you ever had someone in your life like that? Maybe it's a family member or a brother, a or sister, or mom, or dad. Maybe it's a friend in your life, a close friend, or a coworker. And you say like it almost doesn't feel worth praying for them anymore because it feels like there is no chance that they would ever come to faith in Jesus. Whether because of their, their radical views or or their hatred for the church. Or maybe they're like a hardcore and super well-researched atheist or, or maybe just the stage of life that they're in, they're living it up, they're, they're maybe caught in addiction, whatever it is, maybe you think, you know, that person, they could never come to faith in Jesus, they're just too far gone. Well, here's what I love about the section of scripture that we're looking at today, Acts chapter nine, is it shows us that absolutely no one is beyond the reach of God. No one is too far gone for Jesus to break in and to absolutely change the trajectory of a life. And in an instant, he can move and everything changes. Today we're looking at the conversion of a guy named Saul. and The conversion of a guy that I think if you were to ask any person in the first century, any Christian, Christ follower in the first century, they'd tell you he's probably the least likely candidate of someone who would turn and become a follower of Jesus. He encounters this living Jesus on this piece of road between Jerusalem and Damascus. And that encounter changes the entire trajectory of his life. And not only that, but it impacts the whole trajectory of the entire church. And so with all that being said, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're gonna look at, at Acts chapter nine. We'll start reading in verse nine. It'll also be on the screen for you there. Here's what it says. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for the letter to the synagogue in Damascus so that he found, if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, this is the, the early Christians were called the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hand on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on that road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eye and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Let's pray together, and then we'll unpack these words. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your holy scripture, for these stories and these accounts of how you've moved throughout history and throughout time, and thank you for for your follower, Luke, who who wrote these down so that we could learn and grow. And As we now look and, and seek to unpack scripture, I pray that we would do so faithfully, that we would hear what it is that you want us to hear. Holy Spirit, we say we are listening. It's in your name we pray, amen, amen. You can take a seat. So this event that took place at, at the Damascus Road, Saul coming to faith in Jesus, this would have been an absolutely unexpected event. One author said it that, like this, that, that Saul becoming a Christian, it would have been as surprising as say the leader of ISIS or someone who's like passionately against the Christian faith, trying to take out the Christian faith, or even think maybe more intellectually, it could even be like a prominent atheist, like like Christopher Hitches or Richard Dawkins. One of these leaders, it's like one of them converting to Christianity, putting their hope in Jesus. It would have been as shocking and unexpected as one of those leaders coming to Christ. This absolutely crazy turn of events. Why? Well, Saul was radically against followers of Jesus, followers of the way, as they were called. And we don't know too much about Saul at this point in the story, but we know that he was there at the stoning of Stephen, which we looked at a few weeks ago, as we saw Stephen, the first martyr of of the Christian faith, was stoned, And, and scripture says that Saul was there. As they were stoning him, he was cheering them on, egging them on, go, kill him, do it, cheering them on. Chapter eight says it like this, on that day, the day of Stephen's death, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And it says Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And then in Acts chapter nine, which we just read together, he's getting permission from the chief priests to go all throughout the region, not just in Jerusalem where he lives, but to go all throughout the region and, and all sorts of regions as far as Damascus, which would be all the way down in Syria, to find anyone who follows this Jesus and to get rid of them. And this wasn't just some random guy, some thug who just liked to kill people and hurt people for the sake of it. This was a, a Pharisee, a religious leader, incredibly educated around Judaism. It's likely that the entire Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the entire Torah would have been put to memory for Saul. He was a devout Jew. And it appears in Acts that he thinks what in what he's doing that he's actually doing God himself a favor. He's preserving the true Jewish religion, guarding against this weed that is kind of festering all throughout the ancient world called Christianity. He's absolutely convinced that he was doing the right thing for the greater good of the Jewish people. And so he's breaking up families. He's taking parents from their homes away from their children and putting them in prison. He's breaking up prayer gatherings and dinner gatherings and worship services and he's grabbing anyone who follows this crucified Jesus. He's tying them up and he's putting them into prison. He was obsessed, with kind of stomping out this new and growing sect of Judaism, taking anyone who was going on about this crazy nonsense that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was both God and King, and he wanted to get rid of them by any means necessary. That's the backdrop of Acts chapter 9. But here's the question that I think we need to wrestle with as we engage this text, the story of Saul and the conversion at Damascus, is how does a guy like that, who's killing Christians... He's putting them in prison, breathing threats. He's like this guard dog just itching to get off his leash. How does a guy like that turn around and become one of the primary leaders of the early church? He doesn't just ease up and eventually kind of become neutral or indifferent about followers of Jesus, like, oh, I can't stop him, I'll just let it happen. No, he's on his way to the synagogue in Damascus to find followers of Jesus and to take them to their death. And instead, once he gets to the synagogue in Damascus... Rather than taking the Christians and pulling them away, he begins to preach that same Jesus that they've been going on about with passion. What happened? Well, he encountered the living Jesus. He met Jesus on that road to Damascus and literally everything changed. The only explanation for Saul's life life change is, is an encounter with Jesus. And each of us as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we have a story like that. A story that only makes sense. Our lives, giving ourselves to Him, serving Him, following Him, that only makes sense, especially in the culture that we live, if if we've really encountered this living Jesus, if we've experienced Him. And maybe our kind of conversion story wasn't as extreme as falling off a horse, seeing a great, bright light. Maybe we weren't actively breathing threats against Christians. But if you're saved, if, if your hope is in Jesus, And just like Paul, you have seen a great light. You once were blind, the Scripture says, and now you see. And as a result, the whole trajectory of your life has changed. And every testimony is different. Every conversion story is different because we're all so unique and God speaks to us and moves and, and, and we meet him in a way that's meaningful for us, that captures our hearts and imaginations. But while every story is different, one is not less beautiful or miraculous than another. I remember when I was younger, I, uh, I felt actually kind of insecure about my conversion story, about my testimony, because it, it wasn't as dramatic as other people's. Like, I'd hear, I'd hear these stories of, of this crazy transformation where someone encountered God, let's say, in prison, or they kind of hit the, the, the bottom of the bottom with drug addiction or these sorts of things, hit rock bottom, and in a moment met Jesus, and and their life was radically changed and transformed. They experienced the love of God for the first time. And that is so inspiring. And there's people in our church, I'm sure there's people here even today, who have some incredible stories about how God met them in the darkest moments of their life. And, And they put their hope in him and everything changed. And every time I hear those stories, it is so inspiring, it is so encouraging, it leads me to worship. We're actually gonna celebrate some of those stories next week as we have some baptisms. Life change. Jesus encountering people, meeting people. Actually, speaking of which, um, yesterday was Alpha Day, which is a big day in the the rhythms of Alpha. And we're only halfway through the Alpha season right now, and four people have given their life to Jesus already this season. This is so cool. (laughs) Some people have, a, have this, this, this moment where they were in this dark, dark, dark place, very visibly dark, and, and they, they meet Jesus and everything changes. My story is a lot more simple. You know, I grew up in a, in a Christian family. I've loved Jesus for as long as I can remember. Since I was four years old, I, or maybe even younger, I remember I just loved him, I wanted to serve him. And, and don't get me wrong, there's been some dark times, and there's been sin, and there's been wrestling, and there's been doubt all along the way but I, I, I don't have as, as intense a moment as we read about in the story, or maybe even as some of you have had. And there's been times in my life, and this sounds silly to say out loud, where, where I've actually wished that I had a more colorful, speckled past so that I'd have more of a crazy transformation story to share from like sex, drugs, and <laughs> alcohol to pastor. Um, but every story is different, but also not any more beautiful. Anytime someone puts their hope and trust in Jesus, it's nothing short of a miracle. And whether you were, you were five years old when you found Jesus at, at a kid's summer camp or you're 45 years old as a man or woman who tasted all of life's pleasures and found that they were empty and dry and you lacked hope and you needed a savior, every time someone puts their hope in Jesus, experiences the light of the gospel, it's nothing short of a miracle. And he encounters each of us uniquely in different stages of our lives some very young, some much older, and he takes us, those who were enemies of God because of our sin, and he pulls us close. Because of Jesus, he calls us friends. And that's what he does with Saul. He takes this, literally, this enemy of the church, one who was actively trying to destroy, to tear down, to put an end to this Christian movement that was growing. He wanted to end it once and for all, and and Jesus intersects his path. He stops him in his tracks, And this is something interesting I was realizing as I was reading it. Saul wasn't even seeking. He wasn't a seeker. He wasn't someone who was seeking out Christianity. He definitely wouldn't have been at Alpha or Next Step or Ten Hard Questions on Tuesday nights. Or even contrast Saul's story with the Ethiopian eunuch that David talked about last week, who is really humbly sitting on that path in the desert and trying to make sense, trying to understand who is this Messiah. No, that's not it at all for Saul— He was actively breathing threats, trying to tear down the church, and that's the space where Jesus meets him. And again, I think that gives so much hope for those seemingly hopeless situations, those people who seem so out of reach, that neighbor that maybe I've invited over and over and over again to church or to my home for dinner. And and they've never come, or to Alpha, or maybe you've brought up faith at a dinner conversation with your family or at the lunchroom, at work, and you just keep getting shut down and shut down. The story of Saul's conversion shows that Jesus can take even the hardest of hearts and soften them and turn them around. No one is beyond the reach of God. And so if you're thinking of someone right now in your mind, I just wanna encourage you, don't lose hope Let's keep moving. I want to look at what Jesus says to, to Saul in verse four. Does anyone have that in front of them? Verse 4 of, of chapter 9. What, is, what does Jesus say to Saul? Why do you persecute me? Yeah, why do you persecute me? And and that's kind of an interesting statement because Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus, was he? By this time in the story, Jesus had already lived, he died, he's risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father long before this persecution of the church ever started. Jesus wasn't even walking the earth anymore, so what is he talking about? Why does he say, why are you persecuting me? Well, I think in that question, why do you persecute me, we get this glimpse into this close, intimate connection between Jesus and his followers, between Jesus and his body, the church. See, Jesus felt the pain of the church, what they were going through. He was there at Stephen's death and with every stone that was thrown at Stephen, every rock that crushed his bones, Jesus was there by his spirit experiencing it with him so close in those final moments of his life. He was also weeping with that child as her parents were being dragged away to prison because they refused to denounce their faith in him. He was saying to Saul, when you hurt my followers, you're hurting me. When you breathe threats against them, when you break up families and put them in prison, when you you do these horrific things that you're doing, you're doing them to me. Jesus was taking their pain so personally. And Jesus takes your pain so personally. When you go through difficult times, you know, whether persecution because of your faith, and I know there are some people in our church who've gone through great persecution for their faith especially those who've come as refugees from other countries and gone through, through really, really, really hard and difficult, brutal times because of their faith. Or maybe we even go more broadly and say whenever you suffer, when you go through very difficult times, Jesus is with you. Jesus is right there. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by a close friend. He knows what it's like to, for, your, for your body to be in tremendous pain, unbearable pain. He knows what it's like to experience disappointment or depression or discouragement or abuse. And as you experience those things, He is right there with you. And those words from Jesus, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting them, why are you persecuting me? We get this glimpse into the heart of God who's close to the brokenhearted. So it's one of the most incredible attributes about God that separates him from all other ideologies and religions and worldviews that are on offer. He is intimately involved with his creation. He didn't just set the universe in motion and then kind of leave us to do our own thing. No, he came and he lived and he knows what it's like to be human. He experienced sickness and disease and pain. He experienced grief and hardship. And so when we go through those things, he doesn't only see us and look on, he experiences it with us. And he never promises it's going to be easy, that life's going to be free of suffering and hard times. No, actually, quite the opposite. But he does promise that he'll never leave us, that he's always with us, that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can have no fear because Jesus is with us. Okay, as the story unfolds, we get introduced to this new character, a guy named Ananias. And this is actually the only time in, in all of Scripture that we meet this guy, that we read about Ananias, and he's simply described as a disciple from Damascus. But I kind of love that, because God chose this seemingly insignificant guy, this nobody from Damascus, and he used him as a key player in this conversion story of, of Saul. In this conversion story of Saul, who would later become Paul the Apostle, and would lead this, this great missionary journey to the Gentiles, he'd go on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Saul would go on to do great things for God, but in this miraculous event, in this, this conversion story, God would use a nobody, a seemingly insignificant figure named Ananias, to restore Saul's sight, to baptize him, and even to kickstart his whole discipleship journey. Uh, look again with me at verse uh, Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a man named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. He's after us. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. And as I was studying over this last week and looking at this passage and seeking to understand it with more depth, I realized God could have taken care of this whole event right there on the road between Jerusalem and Damascus. Like it could have gone like this. Saul hears a voice, he falls off his horse, the voice says, why are you persecuting me? Saul feels deep conviction, gives his life to Jesus, and the rest is history. But instead, God chooses to draw out this event over several days, to blind Saul, to send him to Damascus, and to use a man named Ananias to then unblind him. Doesn't this sound like kind of an unnecessary side plot to the story? Why did God get, kind of go about it in this way? Well, I think this is one of the amazing things that we see at play in this story, is that God loves to use us, his people, in his redeeming work. God loves to use us, his people, in his redeeming work on the earth. He loves to, to give us opportunities to participate, to join in his great mission of renewing and redeeming the earth and all things. You know, could God have accomplished his purposes without Ananias? Yeah, of course. He's, he's sovereign and in control of all things. He has all the resources at his disposal. He could have just spoken and Saul could have been healed restored his sight, but instead he invited Ananias into the story. I wonder if in verse 10, as, as Ananias is, is praying and in this conversation with God, maybe he's in his prayer closet and they're actually kind of hiding out, trying to stay away, kind of down low be, because they've heard that Saul is coming to town and he's, he's coming to bind them up and take them away. And as Ananias is in prayer, maybe he's even saying to God, would you protect us? Would you give us safety as Saul comes in? Would he not find us? And as he has this conversation with God, God tells him to go right into the center of the chaos, to go to Saul, the Christian killer, to lay hands on him and to restore his sight. I was thinking about a conversation Ananias may have had with his wife, assuming he had a wife. You know, you know, honey, I was, I was talking to the Lord this morning. Oh, good, how'd it go? It went really good. You remember Saul? <laughs> of course I remember Saul, the guy who's on his way to kill us. Yeah, 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 Saul. I heard he was blind. That's great. He'll never find us. But I think God might be asking me to go and make him unblind. What? That's crazy. God was calling Ananias to go and to trust him, to go right into the middle of the chaos. And he was building Ananias' faith. Every time we step out and we go, we follow the Great Commission and go into all the world, we do something that we feel like the Lord is leading us to do, it builds our faith. It pushes us towards this deeper reliance on him. Uh, quite a long time ago, uh, there was a woman in our church that I had the privilege of praying with after the service here at the altar. And she came up in a really beautiful request, uh, asked for prayer that uh, she wanted to stop smoking pot and uh, and so I was praying. I said, yeah, Lord, let's pray. Let's pray that, that you would stop smoking pot. And as I was praying, I, I just, I had this thought come into my head. And so I said it, and I felt a little silly saying it. I said, I just pray that next time she smokes pot, it would just taste so bad to her that she would never, ever, ever want to do it again. And we both chuckled, kind of like some of you are doing. <laughs> I said, amen, and she laughed, and I didn't really think about it again. And then the next week, she came, came back, and she said, uh, I didn't want to smoke pot, but I did later that night. And it's, it tasted so bad. I will never, ever touch it again. And that was amazing. I felt like like my missional side just it just started to bubble up inside of me. I was looking for anyone else who needed prayer. I'm like, who else can I pray for? I just want to be in the game. <laughs> but God loves to include us, his children, in his redeeming work. Did he need me to pray for that, that girl that, 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 it would, that it would taste horrible? No. He could have just made it taste horrible for her. He was allowing me to participate with him in the healing work that he was doing in her life. And just to be clear, that's not the case of how it always goes for prayer for me, probably probably one in four out of five times, I pray for someone and I don't even hear a prompt from the Holy Spirit, and I just pray a prayer of blessing over them. And, and sometimes I do think I hear something and I pray, something very specific. And nothing seems to happen. And maybe it will later on or those sorts of things. But then there's also those times where you step out in faith and, and, you, and you think the Lord's leading you into something, whether it's in prayer or to go or to take an opportunity or to, to do something that seems crazy. But you step out in obedience to God. You do what you believe he's asking you to do. And there's great things on the other side as he allows us to participate in the redeeming and redemptive work that he's doing on the earth. I think another thing that God was doing in this story is he, he, was, he was letting Paul, Saul, know. He was reinforcing Saul's need for community, his need for others. See, later on, Saul would go on to, to write in his various letters and, and epistles throughout the New Testament about the central need for community, for people, uh, the Christians, to gather together, not forsaking gathering together, to be together, to use your spiritual gifts. And he was a central uh, a preacher about the importance of community. But right off the start in his discipleship journey, God was showing him that he was gonna need others. He was gonna need people like Ananias. See, he was, Paul was used to being the one who held all the cards. He was used to being at the top of the food chain. He didn't need anyone or anything. He was the religious elite, the top of the top. He knew stuff. He was untouchable, but then in a moment, he lost his sight, and everything changed. He needed to be led by the hand to Damascus, where he would wander around for three days at the mercy of the community around him, And then it would be Ananias that God would use to bring healing in life. I think God was showing him something in that moment, that we find great healing in community. God was restoring Saul's vision, but not just his retinas, not just his physical vision, not just his sight. There was something so much deeper going on. God was restoring the entire way that Saul looked at the world. See, up until that point, you know, Saul was so sure that he was seeing things clearly. He was so sure that he was right, that he had it dialed in, that this is what God wanted. Have you ever been so sure of something, and then later on you find out that you weren't as right as you thought? Man, maybe it's directions, um, or maybe it's a historical fact. For me, sometimes it's the English language. Like, I think that I'm using a word the appropriate way. <laughs> maybe you've even heard me say words that you're like, I don't think that's the right word. Um, a few weeks ago, I was saying the word... Um, what was it? Um, I wrote it down here. I was saying the word uh, unintegrous. And I was so sure that that was a word, unintegrous. And, and Pastor David was in a meeting with me and he said, "Ah, uh, that's not a word. <laughs> and I'm like, um, uh, I'm pretty sure it is a word. And thankfully neither of us had our phones so we couldn't look it up and, and so we kind of called it a draw. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've heard people say that my whole life. So if it's not a word, I've definitely heard people say it. And thankfully, he's not here this morning for me to tell you that it definitely is not a word. (laughs) But sometimes you're so sure of something that you later find out uh, you weren't actually right about. Saul was so sure that he was doing what was right, that he knew the heart of God, that he knew what God wanted. He was so sure that he was seeing reality clearly, but he was so wrong. He just couldn't see. But listen, Saul didn't only need corrective lenses. He didn't just need a little bit of a correction. He he actually needed new eyes. He needed this completely different perspective. And that's what we see happen at the Damascus Road. His eyes were opened and he saw things as they actually are. This healing of his physical eyes was almost this metaphor of this much deeper spiritual eyes that were being healed. Jesus was really the saving king. He was Lord of all. And as his eyes were open, he saw that. He saw reality as it really is. Jesus gave him these new eyes, not only physical eyes, but spiritual eyes. And that's the miracle of salvation, where we were blind, and now we see. And as soon as Saul sees, once his eyes are open, he turns to Jesus, and he's baptized. And maybe you're here today, and you don't know this Jesus that we've been talking about, that that Saul encountered on the road to Damascus. Maybe you feel like you can't come to him because of your past or maybe even because of your present. But I just want to remind you from this text in Acts chapter nine that no one is too far gone to be reached by Jesus for the grace of God. No one is too far gone. And, And maybe today, maybe even in this moment, maybe God would want to use this Sunday morning in November 2022 as your conversion moment where you turn to him, where he opens your eyes to see him and see the world as it truly is. Or maybe even this morning, as I said earlier, maybe there's a person in your life that you were passionately praying for, that they would come to faith in Jesus, that their life would be turned around, and it's, just, it's been so long. You've just been praying, and you've been praying, and you've been believing. Maybe it's for one of your kids. It's for your spouse, for a family member, a dear friend, and they just feel so beyond it ever really happening. And so you've given up hope. I just want to remind you again from this text that no one is beyond the reach of God. All they need is a miracle. All they need is a moment like this where they encounter the living Jesus and everything changes. Or maybe even today you say, you know, I, I, think, I, I think I am a follower of Jesus, but I'm really struggling to see him. <laughs> it's been a hard last few years. I'm really struggling to see the world clearly or see Jesus in his fullness and really believe that he is who he says he is. Well, what a great opportunity to just pray and to ask him and to say, Lord, would you restore my sight? Would you help me to see? Would you give me new eyes? Would you restore my sight and help me to see you restore the joy of my salvation? Amen? Amen. Let's pray together and then we'll sing respond well God we thank you for this beautiful story this beautiful reminder that you you're still in the business of saving souls that no one is beyond your reach and so I pray for for the various people represented in this room even the extension of those who, who aren't here but who, who people in this room have been praying for and believing for, that you would meet them, that you would encounter them. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to give hope that you are still healing, that you are still restoring. Would you bring those people towards yourself? Continue to call them as you did, as you did to Saul. And I also pray for people in this room who, who are in a season where they're struggling to see you. Maybe they even want to. They want to believe. They want to see you clearly, Jesus, but... With, with the hard knocks of life, it's just been hard. And the gospel maybe doesn't look as beautiful as it once did. I pray you would open our eyes to see you in technicolor, your wonder and your love and your grace. And we know that as we come to you, you we, we come to you, a God whose arms are stretched open wide, ready and, and willing and excited to receive us. Would you continue the great work that you started? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of C.A. Church.